that was awesome hearing from Garth. I think one of the really interesting points that he spoke about was the connection between um, a fan base and a success of the, be it the Waratahs or the Wallabies. Yeah. And I think what we are experiencing with the whole lack of support and the lack of engagement on a broader kind of social level is just because we haven't been particularly good, at least since 2015. Yeah, um, we got to the World Cup final in 2015, but since then we haven't really done well on a in the Super Rugby comp or on a national level. Yeah, uh, it's interesting to think, and 100% right. Um, when in 2014, when the Waratahs were making their run towards the finals, the stadiums just started to fill. So the mm. beginning of the year, there was sort of what we're currently at 10. 11, 12,000 people there. And then towards the end of the season when they sort of made their run and got into the playoffs and kept going, it filled up. And then when we got into the final and played the Crusaders, um, that was the that was a record final for Super Rugby. They had never had that many people at a final before. So it's it, it definitely goes to show that Australian rugby fans definitely are dependent on results. Yeah, which is fair enough. And it's the same for any sport. I don't think that is something that's unique to rugby union. Um, it's just uh, nature of the game. When we've been that poor for a while, it will impact on broader engagement and support. Yeah. Now, one thing I found really interesting was the question I asked him at the end there about the fact that we're an international competition. And does that bring any relevance to him as an NRL and AFL fan? And the fact that he said it doesn't and he hadn't even thought of that as an option before. Mm. That this is the current situation we find ourselves in as as a game of with COVID going on, um, and the broadcast negotiations and all the talk about t- uh, international teams leaving the competition and whatnot. I think it's interesting to consider that potentially it might be better to go back to a domestic competition for the sake of the game. Now you mentioned before about the broadcast rights and things, but yeah. if it helps bring people back to the game and make it more accessible to see the Waratahs play the the Brumbies and the Reds more often than playing the Jags or um, the Stormers, yeah, it, it looks like that might be where we need to start moving towards. Well, why don't we segue into kind of the main section now of where we're talking about the things that we would like to maybe improve or shift or change within kind of Super Rugby and National Setup within Australian Rugby. So we've kind of broken it down into three topics. So the competition format, the rules, and then the overall match day experience. And I want to kind of throw marketing into that last bit as well. But competition format. So you're saying that you'd like to shift more towards maybe an Australian or domestic competition, right? Is that what I'm hearing from you? Look, I've got got three approaches to this um, that I I haven't decided yet on what I think the best option is going to be moving forward because there's, I can see merit in the different situations. So for me, the three or the two things that I can see, uh, the first option is moving towards an Australian and New Zealand, potentially a Pacific Island-based competition. So mm-hmm. we get rid of South Africa, we get rid of the Jaguars, we get rid of the teams that are traveling halfway across the world to come and that we can only play at three o'clock in the morning and we focus more on a on a competition that's based around our time zones and that is competitive um, but is also predominantly ANZAC orientated. So Australia, yeah. Zealand, Pacific Islands. Okay. Now there's within this competition format, there's two styles that I'm tossing up between and I don't really know which one would be best. So there's a round Robin option, which we can sort of looks like what we, we currently do is we play 
all of the teams in our competition, then a few from New Zealand and, and maybe one from Pacific Island or Fiji, Samoa, whoever is included in the comp. The second one is a conference system. Mm-hmm. So you have two conferences. You have um, Australia, so all the Australian teams, all New Zealand teams. You only play the teams in your Australian conference. And then in the finals, you move across into a, a final yeah, system okay. where you play okay. the top teams from the other conference. Okay. Now, that's what I could see as being the two options moving forward for this type of competition. I'm not really sure which one's going to be better. The pros and cons for both of them is the pros would be that the comp- the level of rugby played would be of a higher level because we're mm-hmm. playing against New Zealand teams. Whether we play in the round-robin system means that the that that format would mean that the, the level of rugby would be higher because you would be playing against every team would be playing against a New Zealand team or a handful of New Zealand teams every single year. Yep. If you go to the conference system where you're only playing teams within your conference and teams within your country, that means that the bottom few teams would only ever play against Australian teams and they wouldn't get the opportunity to play against New Zealand teams. So the level of rugby would drop towards the lower, lower um, yeah, half okay. of the competition. Yeah. So that's that's the first one. The second one. I just one, want to jump in on that. Maybe yep. just jump in on that for a sec. So one of the things I was thinking is you're talking about that conference idea with an Australian and New Zealand conference is I was just thinking, but if if we play a New Zealand team just once in say the quarterfinals of the playoffs, yeah, um, and we just get, lose to them straight away, it's just exactly. a really negative experience. But what if we yeah. do like a um, a home and away for that playoff and home and away so two game and you have to um it's like points differential across the, both of them so kind of like uh rugby so football do that within champions league so they have home and away games and it's an aggregate score across the two it's okay. easy to do because of the lowest scores in football yeah um but maybe you do a point system so if you're winning the match uh by four tries you get five points if you just win the match you only get three um and you do it that way and if you're on tied points at the end of the um, home and away, then it goes down to for and against or something like that. Look, I, I guess, yes, that would be a viable option. But at the same time, the current system that we have with Super Rugby, people are saying is too complicated. As it currently yeah, is, yeah. that seems way more complicated. Even I was lost in the, in, in <laughs> four tries, you get a bonus point. But it's like tries, it is within, um, like, it's yeah. like that already is in the Super Rugby competition. No, I, I do get that, but I'm just saying that if we move towards that format, people will just continue to say it's too complicated. Right. All right. Carry on. Disagree. <laughs> move on. So, um, yeah, but ex- what you said is 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 right. Um, with the conference system, the Australian teams would go into the playoffs and get absolutely pelted by the New Zealand teams, most likely, because they hadn't played against them mm. all year. So that's probably not the best option either. I guess out of those two options, it's probably best to stick with a round-robin competition where we play all the teams in that competition. The second option overall as a competition would be an Australian domestic competition only where we don't play New Zealand at all. We don't play the specific islands. It turns into essentially the NRL if you got rid of the Warriors. Now, with this competition, we would have the option or the ability to expand the game domestically we could include more teams we could bring the force back we could bring in a south australian team we could bring in a tasmanian team there would be that option to expand the game domestically you could even look at bringing in uh promotion and relegation from the um sort of shoot shield or um the premiership up in queensland that is another option with that competition but 
overall, the level of competitiveness would not be the same as if we were playing international teams. We weren't playing New Zealand and Pacific yeah. Islands. Look, I I hear the dream of what you're putting forward and I see the utopian vision of a shared future where we're all happy and holding hands and it's all going well together. Singing but Kumbaya just, around the fire. I just don't see where the money is coming from because realistically the majority of money in Australian rugby at the moment either comes from when we host Lions tours or World Cups and then our coffers are filled for the next like 10 years after, particularly like after a Lions tour or something like that. Yeah. Um, actually after a World Cup and then a Lions tour. But they come from broadcast deals. But realistically, we're not get like the broadcast deals are negotiated largely by Sanzar and it, for international markets. Yeah. And then we get a lot of the money, from our share of the money from that for things like rugby championship and as well for parts of Super Rugby. So a large part of our money is because of the South African population base and the impact that South African rugby has upon those broadcast deals. And I just really don't see any of the Australian terrestrial networks wanting to pay significant amount, amounts of money for a reduced product of Australian rugby which probably wouldn't be able to pay the top players enough to stay in Australian rugby. Mm. And so you'd be having all the top cream of talent going over to Europe or going over to Japan. And again, that then impacts upon the broadcast money that we'd be getting that would come in. I just, I don't, I, I like the ideas in a way of a domestic competition. I just don't see the viability of it from a financial point of view. I would say for the domestic competition to work, Rugby as an organization would need to re to move away from the reliance on broadcast money and focus on other areas of the game. So one thing that the NRL does particularly well is merchandising. They do merchandising and sponsorship. Those yep. two things bring in a lot of their money. Now, I don't know the last time you went to an NRL game, but what's really interesting is sitting there and watching the team be announced. They will go through the team list and bring the player up, but every single player is sponsored by a private organization. So mm -hmm. it'll say, number one, brought to you by Hornsby Mazda. Number two, brought to you by Pete's Small Goods. Like each of the jerseys in each of the positions are individually sponsored, which means that those players are getting the sponsorship money and they're getting and the club's getting the marketing from both of those yeah. things. Okay. Yeah. Which you don't see in rugby. Like yeah, I just want to put a point out there. I just quickly, as you were talking, I looked up the broadcast deal, the, the, the previous broadcast deal for the NRL, because they're kind of starting to ramp up towards a new rights yeah. um, deals. $1.8 billion yeah. was the last deal. And so, like, I hear what you're saying about merchandising. I just, it's $1.8 billion. The, the most recent Fox deal was um, that Railing Castle didn't take. That was in the region of... Oh man, I can't even remember the figures. Was it twenty or forty million or something like that? Yeah, it was. It was a significant proportion below. So like, I just don't think we can look at NRL and say let's do what they do, because they're already entrenched. They've got the they've got the expanded um, model. They've got so many teams all across the east coast of Australia. I just don't think that we can try and do what the NRL does and then expect all this money just to come flowing in because we're not as established as they are in the Australian yeah. market. 
Yeah, I I guess the other thing would be that if we do rely just on the the broadcast money as the the main um, income for the game, mm. once it's done and it's signed off and we know who's doing it and the money's come through, I do think the game will shrink, continue to shrink in this country if we don't do something different. Um, well, why don't we shift to? I had I had an idea about a competition format shift as well. Yeah. Um, and it's a bit of a it's a change away from the current Sanzar model to one that's more Asia Pacific based. Yep. So we basically get rid of South Africa and Argentina from Super Rugby, yep. and in their place we bring in Japan and a Pacific Islands team, perhaps a United Pacific Islands team, or maybe just Fiji is the largest of the Pacific Island nations, um, and also possibly a Los Angeles-based USA team, US team. Now, the reason why I'm considering the US team is because of the possibility to be expanding into the US market and for the potential for, again, greater broadcast deals because of the huge population in America. And the, the reality that I think America will probably be a future target for expansion for World Rugby to be pumping funds into. Um, so they might even give us more financial support if we are hosting an US-based team in whatever competition we have. But then we still have the, um, the issue of the travel and the time difference. Yeah, but on a much, much, much smaller scale. You would only really have that for one team, which is the American team. But we'd still have to send a team up to play there every... Week, yeah, but second week not as, well. as often as we have to for South Africa and Argentina. So, yeah, yeah I, I get that it's a deal. But if you think of Japan, they're only a few hours behind. So yeah. that doesn't – it's not a massive imposition. Fiji, I can't remember what the time difference is for Fiji. but it, It's like four four hours or something. Yeah, so that wouldn't be too bad. If they're doing like a 7 p.m. game, that's a 3 or 4 in the afternoon kickoff. That's not I mean, too bad. I mean, the Crusaders have taken games to Suva yep. in the yep. past. Um, and so I just think that that is a more reasonable, in my mind, as I'm conceiving it, way of trying to keep some of the nature. And, and it'd be a round-robin competition. It wouldn't be conference-based. Um, so you, it, there's clarity of you play every team a certain amount of times and then the top however many go into playoff, playoffs as the finals. Um, and, and it's just run. It's, there's simplicity. We're getting, getting rid of conferences. Um, the majority of games are within our time zone or very near to our time zone. Um, and hopefully that would help unify things, but also be giving us access to the Japanese and US markets too. So that's my thought. Yeah, I my my biggest issue with this type of competition is still the fact that as a sport in Australia, we're losing fans by the second. And the reason we're losing fans is because the game, as Garth said, the, or didn't specifically say, but hinted to, the game is inaccessible, and we're playing we're playing teams that he doesn't even that people don't even know and know where they're from in time zones that aren't um, applicable to us. So when you've got the option of going and watching an NRL game at seven o'clock on a Friday, or two o'clock on a Saturday afternoon, and then another one at seven o'clock on Saturday, is much uh, is better for a, 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 an average sports fan than getting up at 3 a.m. to watch um, the Waratahs play the spring bo- uh, any Springbok side. Yeah, so sure. yep. I, I know we are saying that we're removing South Africa from all of these talks, but I really think for the game to thrive in, the, in, in Australia, we need to look at a domestic competition to build, um, to build on 
what we've already got, so the, the teams that we've got, to build tribalism back into those teams and to make the game more accessible to our market. Okay. I hear your points, and I don't I don't disagree with them intrinsically. I just ask the question, where does the money come from? But I don't think we're going to answer that now. So no. why don't we move on to our next point sure. of what would we change about the rules? So I might jump into this because yeah. um, Bryony's earlier comment where she was arguing for the idea of referees having a bit more clarity when you're at the stadium about the penalties that they're giving away. Um, do you remember when America did, sorry, New Zealand did a tour to America and played over there? Yep. What they actually did with the commentators is they had the commentators explaining the rules for the American audience as the referee was calling up penalties and just giving kind of overviews of why different things were happening within the game. Yep. I watched that and thought, this is brilliant. This is exactly what rugby union needs. So my idea about what needs to happen within the rules, well, it's actually less about the rules themselves, but it's more about the perception of the rules. And okay. so as Garth was saying before, he has no idea what's happening half the time and he doesn't think the players do either. But what if you basically mic up the referee so whenever there's a penalty, the reasons for are very clearly stated, but then you have a quick um, within a broadcast team that set up or the team at the stadium, they quickly take the clip, a zoomed in clip of the four or five seconds where the penalty occurred, show that up on the big screen and then have a very brief explanation on the side going, this is what the penalty was for. Mm. Nice and simple, nice and clear. And it's really audience friendly and new and explains what's happening to anybody that's new to the game of rugby union. So that's my basic thought of something that could be improved to help the match day experience for anybody that's watching a game of rugby. Yeah, um, it could potentially work. My only issue with that would be that rugby at times, yes, rugby can be slow, but rugby can also be pretty quick. Mm. So if there's a, a, a ruck infringement, the halfback will most most of the time pick the ball up and tap it and run. Now, yep. if, he's, if he's gone and we're three phases down and the commentators are still focusing on why there was a you know, the Michael Hooper came in at the side or something, that brings the the experience back. Now, cool. another, another like, similar to what you just said, but in another sort of way of doing it, this was something that we experienced at the World Cup. So, pre, like, during, before the game, and then at halftime, not so much after the game, but when you're in the stands and you're waiting for the game to kick off, they would have... Um, just World Cup hype videos on, which was awesome because it just gets you into the mood for rugby. Yeah. But they would also have little um, lore explanation videos and just general overviews of the, the game of rugby. Fantastic. Now, yeah. this was probably a little bit too simple for the fact that it was the World Cup. So it would come up with um, a try is worth five points and it is scored when a, a player puts the ball over the opposition line. Um, I'm going to have to check back in with you. Sorry, mate. <laughs> All right, sorry for interrupting you there, mate. I had a screaming child I had to go and help sort out. So what were you talking about? Where were you that's, up to? That's all right. I was just saying, um, so at the World Cup, they had instruction videos and overviews of sort some rules. Or they were fairly basic for rules of the game that they ran through and they had um, video and explain what happened and how and that kind of thing, which was cool. Yeah. Um, it, it was fairly basic in that stage considering it was the world cup but it's definitely an idea that could enhance the um experience where you've got sort of just overview so people know what happens yeah and cool. why i think that's a great idea um 
I think what that really would be lending itself to is just clarity of understanding of what the game is about. Yeah. Because I mean, we paid Garth out. I paid Garth out at the end of our chat because he does get up at the refs in rugby league, and there is a lack of interpret uh, clarity around decisions and interpretations, particularly in the early days of the bunker system they've got for yeah. officiating. Um, but the thing is, they are trying to provide clarity, yeah. and that I think is something that. Uh, rugby does rugby union doesn't do as well at so you that's a good idea um you, did you have any other ideas about the rules that you thought yeah so i've got i've got a few things here um of i am a referee so i've got a fairly good <laughs> understanding of the rules and there are a few things that i think could be improved now one of those would be and this is one of my personal pet peeves of the game is only uh, all scrum infringements should be rewarded with a free kick not a penalty Okay. Now, a scrum is a – the definition of a scrum or the reason we have scrums is a contest, but it's also a restart of play. So yep. the fact that a team can score off a restart of play, I think, is um, – it just it's counterintuitive because – and it's led to the, the situation that we have now where players are um, cynically practicing scrum tactics to – collapse the opposition scrum knowing that if they do that within kicking range they've got themselves three points yeah so the approach to the game is that i'm going to do everything i can to make that opposition collapse because i know i will be rewarded with points yeah. um, which is kind of the wrong way about it it should be yeah. i want to try and be a better scrummager so that i can get the ball back for my team I'll um, get possession or get, get the possession back because that's what it is possession. it is yeah. It is a um, contest for possession. It's a restart. It's a contest of possession. Yep. So um, rugby is a game of contest. We All of the, the different elements of the game are about an even contest. We penalize when the contest um, has been taken away, mm-hmm. generally unfairly. So um, the reason that I would remove the fact that it's a penalty and only a, free, a, a short arm or a free kick is that the option is you can kick it out, yep. but you lose the line out. So... It's the opposition's throw. Oh, okay. You kick it out from a short arm, the opposition throws it in. You don't get the ball back. Uh Only a penalty. Or you can tap it and run. So it'll keep the ball in play longer. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. one thing I would love to see. It would just just open the game up a bit more. Second thing I would love to see, um, if the ball is held up in goal, it's rewarded with a 22 dropout. Yeah, cool. Not so a five-minute scrum. Not a five-minute scrum. So currently, the team that goes for the try and gets held up are rewarded with a five-minute scrum. They get another crack at it. Mm-hmm. I think that the defending team, if they're good enough to hold the ball up, then they should be rewarded with a 22 dropout. This was something that was trialed in the NRC last year. Um, it, I don't remember any instances of it being used too effectively, um, but it, the idea, it's definitely something that's on World Rugby's um, radar and they are trialing this but i would definitely love to see this in that if you can hold up the team over the line you get rewarded yeah okay that's the second one. Third one um captain has the option to query one call made against them so the nrl has introduced something similar this year where the 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 captain can challenge a call yeah and in the nrl system if you get it correct, you keep the challenge. If you get it wrong, you lose the challenge. I don't necessarily want that. I reckon you. I, I would like to see that you should, can get one challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the instance, the captain can come to the referee and says, I think that's wrong. Can we check it? So um, whether 
the ball went out, touched the line. If it was called play on, I think it went out. Let's let's send it up to the TMO. Potential let's check. Pass. Yeah. Forward pass, anything. Mm-hmm. I, I reckon I would like to see that because I think that that would right some of the wrongs that happen. Okay. Yeah, cool. And it's relatively simple if you have it clarified. You get one challenge a game, that's it. Uh, and this is a process by which it happens, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. And by okay. only having one, you know that you can't just keep going at the referee. Mm. Check that, check that, check that. Because, you know, if you get it right, you keep it. Yeah. Regardless, you know, you think the ball's down, the referee's called it held up. No, yep. I, actually, I do think that was down. He hasn't sent it up to the TMO to look. I don't think it should be used in an instance where the TMO's already intervened. Yeah, that's TMO what I deems yep. that it's it's correct, it's a try. Uh, no, I think it's a, a forward pass. Well, the TMO's looked at it and they said that it's not. So, no, you don't can't challenge that. But yep. in open play, in a in a decision that wasn't wasn't investigated, mm-hmm. have a challenge. Okay, cool. Yeah, I agree with those. Those sound really interesting. Um, why don't we shift now to our final point on the match day experience? Yep. So. I've got a couple of things I want to touch base on here. Number one, I think rugby games need to be played in smaller stadiums. Yep. Um, so, for example, in Sydney, I think that almost all the games should be, be should be played out at Bankwest Stadium. So the problem is that Allianz is being rebuilt at the moment primarily to be used as a rugby ground. Uh, so this one is not going to happen, but I wish it was. Right. Um, it's um, Unfortunately, it's a bit of a catch-22 in this instance. Yes, because, yes, you're right, it would be better to see rugby played in smaller venues. Unfortunately, rugby is predominantly a, um, in Sydney. It's a it's a game that's mostly supported by people in the eastern, in the eastern suburbs and the beaches. Now, mm. that's the reason why when we play at um, the S- SCG or the SFS or Allianz, when it was there, we would still get higher numbers of people coming to the games because it was closer to those locations these people won't travel unfortunately and it's been shown that i personally think that the experience of bank west is superior to either of the any of the the um other stadiums the waratahs have played at previously but people still don't go yeah well it's it's a a massive pain in the ass to get to i mean i i have a four-year-old son and i want us to be able to play i want us to be able to go to games it's partly why i've got the membership because i wanted to bring my son along um but if the games are being held at moore park how do i get there yeah okay i have to drive in through the city and then find parking there which is a freaking trek to do or i catch a train into central and then what walk or get the bus out to out to moore park it's just such a long trip for us to be doing, and yet I've got a young son who I want to follow rugby. I want him to yeah. play rugby. I want him to get involved, and yet it's really hard. But if you go out to Parramatta, easily get a train out to Parramatta or drive and park right next to the stadium, and the parking's pretty good. So I think this is this is definitely a Sydney problem or a New South mm. Wales problem. Yeah. Um, the other cities and the other states have fairly good access to their they do, um, they do. the right. infrastructure. So. Um, the Suncorp Stadium is right, well, not right in the middle of Brisbane, but it's fairly central. Melbourne has a number of stadiums that can be utilised that are fairly central located as well. Yep. Sydney just doesn't have that infrastructure where it's close to the city centre. Because our transport network sucks. Anyway, but that's, that's a big <laughs> Now, actually tying into that, because um, I mentioned the fact I've got a young boy, um, I would love to see more afternoon matches. 
yep. because I want to be able to take my family, to take my friends along to it, and afternoon matches work better for the demographic that I'm a part of. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard for me to be able to take my young family to a game that starts at 7, 7.30, knowing that it's not going to finish until 9, 9.30, and then yep. I'm not going to get home until about 11 p.m. That's yep. impossible. My son's in bed three hours before that. Uh, and so it's just going to be a miserable family experience if I try and do that. So having the occasional or maybe two or three times in a season, having an afternoon game would just be far, would open it up more to juniors coming along. Yeah. And then over time, again, we're seeing that development and engagement within actually attending rugby and supporting it with a live experience. Now, this was the Waratahs and New South Wales rugby are definitely on your side in this case. And oh, they know that afternoon games are the best. Good. They want to be playing on in after in sort of the 6 p.m. time slot or the 2 p.m. on a Sunday. Uh, unfortunately, due to the fact that we are an uh, international competition that is uh, put together by Sansa, we're only able to be given the time slots to fit into the broadcast schedule that fit in with the other time zones. So unfortunately, that's the reason we don't have more games. But if... The burn down sounds are... Yeah, so that's why we go to a domestic competition, as or I said before. My competition. And... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, if, if we had greater control of the game, we would have greater control of when the games were played and how they were spread around, and it would be better overall experience. Yeah. I agree. Okay. Um, and then my other point was, so I, for a long time, have worked in schools in various capacities. I've mentioned before that I'm a teacher and I've worked in schools in other capacities too. And one of the things I found fascinating was the lack of engagement in any of the schools that I've been a part of by any community development programs for rugby yeah. union. So yeah. we have had Western Sydney Wanderers come out to our school and do coaching clinics for our students. Now, it's not the Wanderers players, but it's the Wanderers organisation sending people out. We've had um, West Tigers come out and try and do prom and do promotional programs at our school, at, at another school that I was at for Rugby League. Uh, we've, we've had so much, even just attempts to try and get involved. Um, the, the sports master at my school, and the school that I'm at is a rugby union school. They The sports master was telling me how he would be getting offer after offer of rugby league development programs to try and come out and promote things at the school. And then he would be trying to contact people from New South Wales rugby to come out and do stuff. And he just found it really, really hard to get responses and to get people to come out. Now, that is one area I think really can be improved. It kind of fits within that. Uh, it doesn't really fit within match day experience, but I didn't have anywhere else to put it. Overall um, experience. Yeah. 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 And so I don't want that to be a people involved in New South Wales community rugby suck, but I want it to be a there needs to be more funding to enable people to get to more schools and to enable people to get out to more clubs and to do that grassroots level engagement. Because I know that people in clubs and the Waratahs, I know they care, but there needs to be more money to enable that program, those programs to be wider. Uh, yes. No, I, I do agree with what you're saying. They do need to get better engagement. I have seen firsthand that New South Wales rugby particularly, and I think rugby Australia in general at the moment, are pushing quite heavily for sevens and for girls. Mm. So they are in the process of trying to increase the, um, the number of young girls playing rugby and playing sevens, and they're putting all of their money into that. 
Yep. So you do work at a, an all-boys school. Mm-hmm. So that's probably why you're not seeing New South Wales rugby people around because you don't have any girls playing sevens. But um, And I think that comes back to the Olympics and the fact that we are fairly good chance of getting a medal in the girls' uh, rugby Women's event, time. the yeah. sevens. Um, but yeah, definitely rugby. Then I, I also, we can't say... Uh, what it's like in other states. This is going off um, New South Wales rugby. Yep. I can't say. I, I have a feeling that the Brumbies are better at it than us in regards to going out to training. Yep. I think I remember reading that Dan McKellar has made um, a rule whereby the, the players on a Thursday will go out to local club teams and train or, or in some way help out local teams. Yep. Um but that is also because they are so far behind in their crowd numbers that they're just doing everything they can to get people to come to games. Yep. But yeah, what you said is right. We do need further engagement. We do need the Waratahs players to be going to schools and to seeing kids and engaging with the community more. Um, I think that the reason it's not happening is because they're putting their priority towards the sevens programs. Yeah. Now, Morgan Tiranui, I was listening to him talk about this, and he was saying that a lot of the um, player engagement actually comes down to the coaching organisation at the different teams. Yes. And whether or not the um, coaches are willing to set aside a time of the day within the training week to be that going out and engaging within the community. So obviously Dan McKellar is doing it at the Brumbies. And I know that in a lot of the preseason stuff, the Reds were really good at getting out into yeah. the Reds go bush or something. Yeah, like that. they were going they, they were going regional. Yeah, yeah, Reds go regional. They were um getting out into regional Queensland and really connecting with communities out there, which is fantastic. Um, but you just kind of don't want that one burst in a preseason. You would hope that it's something that's ongoing throughout Super Rugby. And um, Morgan Tiranui was suggesting that maybe the players train in the evening one day a week so that in the early afternoon they're available to go and help out with coaching for community rugby. Yeah. Um, something, something like that. An idea. It's, it's definitely achievable. They, they, You can't say that there's not a time in a Super Rugby player's week to spend two or three hours engaging with the community. Correct. They can do it. Even if it. they go to a school and run a lesson once a month, um, I go to a primary school, run a lesson once a month for the kids there, that the kids would love it. And yeah. if they give away some free merch or something like that, um, some posters, sign up, like all that kind of thing, kids just love. They do. And it's simple and it's effective. And you know those posters would be getting put up on the walls at home. Yeah. All right. Cool. What did you have as ideas for the match? Okay. Here? So... Um, I've got two suggestions that came through from Tim whilst we've been on the pod. So the first one is that he would like to see a second grade competition start up in Super Rugby that would see the um, sort of extended squads, the players that are outside the match day 23, get to have a game. Sort of oh, like cool. like yeah. the NRL do it with the, um, I can't remember what it's called now, Um Holden Cup or something, uh, yeah, okay. but that you would come in and main games at 7.40 or 7.30, whatever it is, 6 o'clock or 5.30s kick off for the, the emerging Waratahs playing against the same team that the normal, the first grade side's playing, but yeah. a bit earlier. Yeah, uh, cool. Other That's suggestion was in Sydney to have um, a shoot shield game of the round to be played at sort of 2 o'clock. 
Yeah, cool. At the That'd same venue. Now, there yeah. was talks a little while ago uh, last year, I think it was, when the Waratahs played down at Brookvale that they wanted to get the um, the Battle of the Beaches game, Manly and Warringah, to be played yeah. at the, as a curtain raiser before the, the Waratahs played the Blues, I think it was, from memory. Um, and don't know why it didn't happen, whether it was because the Shoot Shield didn't agree to it or I think the Waratahs were pushing for it to happen, but whatever happened, it didn't go ahead. So um, it would be great to see throughout the competition at home games, and it's probably going to be easier once we're set up at a, a certain location yep. um, to have the Shoot Shield game of the round be played prior to a Waratahs kickoff. Yeah, okay. That's another. That's one idea. Those are two brought in by Tim. So thanks for that, Tim. Um, uh, one I've got would be just greater fan engagement in general at yeah. the games. So yeah. when you arrive at the at the games, it would be great to see Tarman out the front walking around with the fans. Um, to have maybe the players who aren't playing, so those extended squad members, or even the a graders who are uh, injured or aren't playing that weekend, just out um, engaging with the with the fans prior to kickoff. Yeah, yeah. So just I I can remember when I was younger, I think it was because the setup at the um, old Allianz Stadium, the Waratahs HQ was right next to, it was in a separate building, but it was right next to the stadium. So yep. if you got there early enough, you would actually see the Waratahs players walking across from Waratahs HQ into the stadium, and you know, you could chat to them and you can wish them luck and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But the players that weren't playing were always hanging around there. I can yep. remember that there was a one year, particularly to Tafu, was out for a number of weeks. And you'd be rocking up to the game half an hour before kickoff and Tafu's out the front signing autographs, taking photos, giving people hugs and stuff because that's just the kind of guy that he is. Yeah, like yeah. He wasn't told to do that. He just mm. wanted to go out and engage with people. Now, they need to do that with everyone. Because it's such a hype to be able to think that these players are approachable and that you're seeing them out the front um, and then you go into the stadium and put them, watch them play. I had a really positive experience a couple of years back when I went to a Tars game and the players were doing so, like signing of autographs and stuff like that after the game. Um, at, this is at Allianz. And I remember waiting. So Nick Phipps was one of the guys that was going around. So yep. they'd formed like a big square and kind of the players were in the middle going around the outside of the square. And the players kept getting called back in to go do their warm out, warm down routine. And Phipps knew that there were still people waiting. And I was w with a couple of mates. And um, the, the trainer's like, come on, Phipsy, come on, get off. Oh, fangers. Insane. Fangers. Um, get in. Come on. you got to have your ice bath. Get in, get in. He's like, nah, I'm still doing it, still doing it. And he's just rushing around trying to greet and say hi to as many people as he possibly could doing signatures. I got a good selfie with him as well and a couple of my mates. And he was just a legend because he just wanted to keep, whilst, whilst there were people that wanted to engage, he was trying to stay out there for as long yeah. as he could. So I think that in a lot of times the players are really willing um, but it's just the structures that are in place that aren't kind of enabling that to happen if easily or effectively. Change so it. I think if there's just a greater focus from New South Wales Rugby Union about player availability on game day, particularly for those who might be injured or not in the playing squad, yeah. like you're suggesting, I think that's a wonderful and simple initiative that can be helpful. Yeah. Um, mate, that's right. 
I've I got think... one. I've got one more thing. Oh, one more thing. Go, one more thing. Go, go. Match day experience. It would be great to have designated zones set up around the outside of the field, sort of, or the stadium, where yep. you can go and watch other Super Rugby games that are on. Uh, okay, cool. So they do generally, if you get there early enough, they do play like the 5 p.m. game on the big screen, or they used to in at um the S- SFS. Yep. Um, but it would be great to sort of have maybe two or three booths set up with a little bar there where you could go and just watch whatever games being played before. Because generally with Super Rugby, there's a 5 p.m. game and there might be a game um, played somewhere else that is on yep. or will kick off just before the Waratahs game kicks off. So yeah, cool. just sort of tie in the whole experience to the fact that this is an international competition and there's games being played somewhere else. Cool. Okay. I think we've natted on for long enough, mate. We have. Um, and it's been a good time. Good to hear f- a lot of our opinions about what could be improved and also good to get uh, feedback from people within our broader crew as well. So yeah. thank you to Temba, to Chris, to Tim, to Bryony and to Garth for coming on. Um, really appreciated it. Anything you want to say to kind of wrap them things up, buddy? Um, yeah, I guess we oh, we're sort of running out of ideas now for what we want to do for the podcast going forward. So if you do have any ideas of themes you'd like us to chat about, particular games you'd like us to dissect, um, anything really, we'll put some stuff out on social media, but either send us a message or reply to one of our posts and we could potentially put a whole episode around it. Yeah, so. we'd love to. We'd love to get your input because we want to hear what the people want and we want to give the people what they want. So let us know. We can't we can't feed you unless we know what you're hungry for. So tell us. And um, if you're listening to this, you uh, would have already found a way of listening to us, whether it be on Spotify, Apple Music, or iTunes, Podcasts, Google Podcasts, whatever it is. We do. We are also in the process of putting these episodes up on YouTube if that's going to be easier for you. So um, if that's your preferred method, you can put us on while you're doing the housework or um, playing video games or whatever you do, watching rugby, just put us on and turn the commentators off because we know more about rugby than they do. Uh, whatever sure. it is. Yeah. Whatever it is. Um, we'll put our links to the YouTube videos as well up on social media. Wonderful. Let's call it there, mate. Thank you so much. It's been fun and catch you next week. Sounds good. Have a good week, everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. You can follow us on social media at the following outlets. Follow our Facebook page at Pick and Drive Rugby Podcast. Send us a tweet at at pick underscore drive rugby. Follow our Instagram at pick underscore drive underscore rugby or send us an email at pickanddriverugby at gmail.com. We'd love to hear any questions or feedback you may have, so get in touch. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week.